You know, this week we were reminded yet again of the brokenness of our world, were we not? We live in a broken world. And we live where a lot of people are feeling these kinds of things. We're, we're feeling fear and hate and racism and disunity and there's blame and there's despair and there's violence. And we live in a world where we're longing to feel these kinds of things. And we want to feel courage and love and have equality and unity and responsibility and hope and peace. And we're reminded uh, by the events that have happened in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, in Falcon Heights, Minnesota, in Dallas, Texas, of just how broken our world is. And these events that we've seen this last week are not things that are causing unrest in our nation. They are things that are revealing the unrest that's in our nation. And then you add to that all the other complexities of what we see in life. You add to that terrorism and ISIS going uh, you know, worldwide. All the other global events and accounts. You add to that uh, what we saw in Orlando and all other similar type situations. You, you add to that um, the polarized moral, political, social um, siding that we see in our nation right now. You, you add to that a bizarre um, presidential election. You, you add to that recent SCOTUS decisions. You, you know, we can add and add and add, and then you multiply that by the reality that all of us are going through personal battles today of some sort. You've got all this stuff compiling. Isn't it no wonder that people have an uneasiness in their soul? It's just an uneasiness that we deal with. And so we feel the words on this side, and we long for the words on this side, and we're reminded a lot of these issues are not the ones we see on the surface. It's not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. The, 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 prob, the, the, the heart of the human problem is the problem with the human heart, right? All these things flow out of the heart. Jesus said, it was captured in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, 21-23, Jesus said, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts and sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And so we have to keep our eyes on the understanding that the root of all that we see going on is sin. And obviously in the last few days we've been just starkly reminded just of how capable we are, how far we can go in our sinfulness. And I just want to take a little bit of time this morning and, and really peel back a little bit more and understand at a different level, a deeper level, some of the events that have dominated our headlines the last few days. I'm actually going to invite a couple friends to join me for a little bit today and just talk with me a bit about what we've seen taking place in Baton Rouge and Falcon Heights and, and Dallas. And so I've got uh, Marlon and John. You guys come on up. I want to welcome these guys up here to hang out with me for a little bit. And we're just going to chat for a few minutes. Yeah, thanks for giving a hand. Thanks, guys, again, for being here. Uh, we're just going to chat for a little bit about some of these things. Now, uh, Marlon over here has been married for six years to his wife, Jen, has a four-year-old daughter, 10-month-old son. Uh, Marlon is going to school right now and training as a church planter. He's been an intern with us this year, and he's looking forward to planting a church in Cleveland in the near future. So, Marlon, it's great to have you on the team. Thank you. I don't know who you are. I just grabbed him in the foyer. 
Just joking. This is John Holiday. <laughs> this is John Holiday. They've been coming to CBC for about 13 years. John's been married for 12 years to his wife, Mary Ann. Uh, they've got a 13-year-old boy, 10-year-old daughter. And uh, John and Mary Ann serve our second graders. They teach our second graders about Jesus and are very active in our sports <laughs> camp. And John is a law enforcement officer in Garfield Heights, which is a heavily African-American um, uh, populated city. And so obviously, I have them up here for obvious reasons, right? Um, just to get some perspective from really angles that some of us may not understand. And so these guys have been willing just to uh, come up here and share a little bit of their heart, a little bit of their experience with us so we can move forward with a deeper understanding. So, so John, I'm going I'm to start with you first, man. Um, okay. Why did you want to be a cop? Why did you want to be a cop? And what are some of the unique challenges that you experienced in your job? Well, the main reason I wanted to be a police officer was to serve and help people. Um, you know, majority of the police I know, that's why they do it. Sure, there's some that, you know, think it's cool, so that's what they want to do. But, you know, I just wanted to help people. Um, there's a lot of challenges I face every day. Um, a lot of people hate me. I, I guess maybe not me, but they hate what I do. So I get, you know, a lot of negative looks from people. Um, when I'm driving down the streets, I see kids that are, some are, they'll wave right away and say hi. Some are like, should I wave? It's a police officer, I don't know. Some will look at me and give me the wrong finger and it's just, <laughs> it is what it is, you know. Um, but I see sin face to face every single day, you know, not my own sin, but other sins from, you know, people, people that commit suicide, um, people that do drugs that, come back from overdosing, people that don't come back from overdosing, um, teenagers running around the streets with guns, you know, things that don't make the headlines, you know, I see all that stuff every day and it's tough, you know, but I just pray every day about it that, you know, God will use me in a positive light and hopefully I can make a difference. Well, first off, I think on behalf of all of us here, um, we just want to say thank you for serving. Thank you for laying your life down. And, uh, You know, it comes with unique dynamics, and uh, you know, we, know, we know there are some bullies with badges. We know there's a percentage of guys, you know, we, we talk about this. Every vocation's got a bad batch, right? You, you name it, doctors, lawyers. Yeah, there's bad, I mean, there's bad everything. A bad <laughs> teacher, a bad doctor, you know. Uh, but, but the majority of you guys are, are really in it to, I love what you said, to help people and, and serve people. Marlon, uh, right now, obviously, um, with the racial tensions and the, the word racism being an increasingly used word again, uh, you as African-American uh, have a front row seat to a lot of these things that are happening from, from your family, from your relationships, just from your own personal experiences. I think it's very easy. If we're, I mean, I'm not a huge PC guy. I'm just like, here's the thing. I'm a white dude, man. I, I, we talked the other day, and I just went, I've never experienced what you just talked about. I, I had no idea what it would be like to walk in your shoes. So I don't know, how have you personally experienced racism, or how does that play into your life as an African-American? Um, I personally experienced racism. My parents were in Cleveland. They moved to a small town in uh, Kentucky. And often we go and we visit them, you know, take the grandkids to see them. And when we enter into the city limits of their town uh, and drive past a police car, there's no doubt the police, they come and they pull right behind me. And uh, they follow me for about three to four miles within the city. And 
it's crazy, but soon as I get near my parents' house, that's when the lights and the sirens come on. And uh, I have to pull over. But not only do I pull over in the daytime, but at night, I especially pull over where there's light. Because I don't want to give this police officer just cause to pull out his firearm and shoot me. And I have it real difficult because I'm in an interracial marriage. And so when I travel with my wife in Kentucky, it's even a more panic because there's a heart of racism in my father's town. And by me marrying uh, a Caucasian wife, there is a perception that they don't like that. They, are, they disagree with that. So I have to be extra cautious because I don't want my wife to get hurt. And I definitely don't want to get hurt in front of my kids for doing nothing but having the wrong skin color. Well, first off, for you, I think, on behalf of us, um, and we're just sorry for the pain that you have had to experience um, and the difficulty and awkwardness you've had to experience. You know, talking with other African-American brothers and sisters going, whether it's walking down the street and seeing how people interact or walking into a place of business or, or being pulled over, it's just a different experience for those of us who might be white and those of us who are black. And so uh, thanks for sharing just a glimpse of what that looks like. Obviously, you guys have been closer to the situations that we've seen in the headlines uh, the last few days. Uh, maybe you can just talk a little bit about how, from your vantage point, how has what's happened at Dallas and, 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 and you know, Baton Rouge and, of course, all the, all the other incidents that they line up on top of from the last few years, they're increasing. How, how have those impacted your lives in the home, your heart, your workplace? How have those impacted you recently? Well, for me, personally, like in my home life, you know, it makes, you know, tensions are high with the wife. Obviously, she is nervous when I go to work, as it is, but especially with everything that's going on, you know, she's even more nervous. Um, it, sometimes it kind of makes me question if, if what I'm doing is the right thing I should be doing. Um, you know, is this the career I should be in? And, you know, I believe for right now it is. You know, it could change, but I think I'm making a difference. You know, I, it's, it's a hard field to be in, and I, and I don't think everybody can do it. Um, but it's hard at the same time to see the fear that my wife has when I go to work and with everything that's going on. But I just keep my faith, and, you know, I pray about it, and, you know, God just helps me get through it. You talked about how even now, obviously, in the work environment, now there's this heightened alert. Right, yeah. I mean, it's obviously a lot higher now. It's higher. It's high every day, but it's even more so now. You know, you might have a random call you're going to or you're going to help somebody get into their car. They lock their keys in. But now I'm thinking... Is somebody going to come out from somewhere and shoot me? Is this person going to shoot me? You know, I have to be more cautious. You know, it's, it's sad, but, it, you know, it's, it's true. How about for you, Marlon? How, how have these events played into conversations you've been having, what you've been feeling, home, relationships? Um, I agree with my brother, John. Uh, my wife also have a heightened sense of fear uh, just by me going out and maybe going to the store uh, and randomly getting pulled over and, and the thought is, could this be the time where they mistaken my wallet for a gun? So I have to also be cautious. These events uh, just bring awareness that that could be me that is laying down and, and uh, getting shot. But also, 
as I bring uh, my son up into this world, the issue is now I have to sit down and I have to talk to him about what is going on and, and let him know that you have to be careful. You have to not um, let your guards down. You have to be on alert, but also you have to be at a place where you don't have any due stress to someone else. Uh, it's it's kind of sad that when he's turned five, this is the conversation that I have to have and give to him. It's interesting, both of you talked about a heightened level of fear. You know, fear has been elevated in both your hearts, your homes, your lives. And it's interesting, with the racism thing, it'd be so easy for people to go like, oh, it's, it's being overplayed, it's being overemphasized. But you, know, you even spoke about this earlier. Um, you, you've experienced it because you have family members that are biracial. Right, yeah, I mean, I can totally relate to what he's saying. You know, my sister's white, or my sister-in-law is white. Her husband is black. They have three biracial children. So, you know, I see the things that they deal with, you know, and it's real. You know, not everybody sees that. And, you know, I think a lot of people are like, oh, that's, yeah, it's whatever, you know. But no, it's, it's true. It happens. You know, and it, it's sad. Well, the, the good news is, is that uh, you guys love Jesus. <laughs> and you guys um, have a relationship with Christ. Uh, you, you value the gospel, the, the good news that comes with Christ. So how does the gospel and how does your relationship with Jesus navigate you through the increased fear and all the other things you guys are dealing with right now in your home, your workplace, your relationships? Well, for me, you know, God is he's everything. He's number one. He's the head, head of my life, head of my household. Um, I have complete trust and faith in him in all areas of my life, whether at home or at work, personal interactions with people. Um, you know, he, he guides me in what I should do. You know, it's hard sometimes with w the negativity that I see a lot. You know, it's hard. But if I don't have that faith, I, I can break very easily. You know, and I see it with people that I work with that aren't believers, and I see them they get angry and they snap and things like that, but you know my faith is what keeps me strong. Uh, one of the verses that I live by is Ephesians 6.16. In all circumstances, take up the, the shield of faith with which you can distinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. You know, Satan's gonna come at you whether you're prepared for it or whether you're not. So God is what keeps me from you know, falling into his traps and into sin. I even appreciate how We've talked before how you're like, um, you're closer to some of these more sinful scenarios, which can be danger, but also God's kind of maneuvered you to do more than you're paid for in a sense, too. Right, yeah. <laughs> Missionary clearly disguised as a police officer. Right. I mean, you know, it might not be the right time if that guy's in the back of my car to talk about Jesus to him. You know, he might not like that at that point, but <laughs> there are times when, I, you know, I'm dealing with people that I can share, you know, my faith and, you know, it. I have had in interesting conversations with people, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, that's great. Um, me, personally, I think my biggest example is to show that even when my enemies hate me, I still have to show them love. Um, that's the biggest uh, example that I can do. Um, I think it reminds me of here, my relationship with Jesus. I am an enemy of Christ, no matter what. Me and Jesus, we're not on good good terms at all and because we're not on good terms he still desires for me to have a relationship with him that's crazy so when i look at that 
I can see in myself, you know what? Even when someone hates me and they dislike me, I still have to have that relationship that Christ has with me and say, I desire for you to have fellowship with me. No matter what, I have to show that love and say, I want you to have that fellowship with me. And with me, by me doing that, that is the great example of showing the gospel in a tangible way. We know really we've just scratched the surface. This is just a grain of sand in a much larger container. Um, but uh, thank you guys for being willing to come and, and participate today. Let me ask you guys, can you each just offer a prayer? Just prayer for our country, prayer for the communities that need it. Can you just say a prayer for us and uh, lead us? That'd be, that'd be great. Dear Lord, I just want to pray your hand of protection over our nation, healing over our nation. You would help us through these tragedies. And I would like to also pray for the black community that you would help them through everything that they're dealing with. You know, I pray that you would send people to love them, to show them compassion, to support them, to be there with them. And I pray that you would open our eyes as a nation that, you know, it's not the color of our skin that's what's wrong with this world. It's sin that's what's wrong with the world. And I just pray that you would open our eyes and use us as people of you to make a change in the world. Our Heavenly Father, we just uh, come once again thanking you. We come and we ask that you begin to bring healing to our nation, that our nation will begin to turn around and reconcile a relationship with you, that we begin to grow and extend and reach out and, and take courage in you. I pray for my brothers in law enforcement. Each of them, they're going out with a dangerous task to enter our world that uh, is full of sin and violence. And I ask that you protect them, that people begin to look past the uniform and the badge, but look at the heart and the character of the man. And they begin to begin to realize that he means me no harm because he's wear that badge. And they begin to really take their model to protect and serve, literally to protect and serve. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you guys give these uh, guys a hand? Thank you guys for helping. Again, that's just, just, just a little taste. I hope that's helped a little bit as we're dealing with some of these issues. Uh, there's no shortage of opinions right now in, in how to fix the problems we have. We all know we need change. We see the brokenness, we feel the brokenness, we all need change, but we don't always agree on how to make the changes. Um, what I really appreciate about what I heard Marlon and John talk about was there's a lot of opinions out there, basically. You, you've got to hold loosely to those opinions, but hold tightly to the gospel, because that's where our hope lies. That, that's where our hope exists, is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, good and godly people, this is a newsflash, I am so sorry to disappoint you, but good and godly people are going to disagree. I don't know if you knew that. We're going to disagree. Like right now with this situation, like, okay, do we protest or not protest? Is it, is it hashtag Black Lives Matter, hashtag Blue Lives Matter, hashtag All Lives Matter? Um, do we need more gun control, more freedom? Like, we're, we're all going to land in different places about what we should do. But the problem is sometimes we're dealing with the symptoms of those issues rather than the, the virus. And the virus, the, what's at the core of the issues, is sin. And so we need to cling tighter to the gospel because only in the gospel is sin remedied. 
Nothing else will remedy sin. No policy, no legislature, no kind act will remedy sin. It can help us deal and cope and counter sin, but it doesn't help us deal with sin. And so good godly people will disagree on how to handle these things, but may we never disagree on our need for the gospel. May we never waver on our fierce loyalty to the gospel of Jesus. May we never give the devil the satisfaction that we would be discouraged or distracted from the life-transforming power that the gospel of Jesus Christ brings into our lives and into our homes and into our country. We have to hold unwaveringly to the gospel. But in the midst of holding to the gospel, we'll still find ourselves having conflict. Every voyage has conflict, right? In a plane, you're going to have turbulence. In a boat, you're going to have waves. In a car, you're going to have bumpy roads. Well, guess what? This journey of life, there's going to be conflict, and there's going to be disagreement. And as we've been going through this book of Acts through this year, we land on a passage this morning that is really a time of conflict. And we've got two good, godly men who come to a point of not seeing eye to eye and not agreeing on how to handle the situation. And so I think it's fitting as we're kind of dealing with all the things that are up in the air right now with our nation going, we're not seeing eye to eye on how to handle the situation, but what can we see eye to eye on? And so I want to invite you into this passage with me uh, today. It's in Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, we're going to be just in verses 36 through 41. So I invite you to open up your Bibles, find yourself there. Now, what's happened up to this moment is that uh, the church is growing, the church is thriving, they're, they're on this voyage, this journey of growth. Uh, we're learning from them on how to be a church, a group of people that can grow and be on a journey of growth and, and, and to advance the gospel into our world. And so as uh, this church is going through these different scenarios, they just had a big meeting in Jerusalem, really about validating what it takes for a person to be really saved. Should they do all these other rituals and rules and, and religious things, or is it just Christ alone? And they basically said, it's, as Pastor Rick reminded, reminded us last week, it's not Jesus plus, it's Jesus period, right? Getting right with God isn't about a bunch of li- rules of do's and don'ts that you have to check off before you're okay with God. Jesus did all the hard work, we just need to be found in Christ. And so it's just Jesus. And so they celebrated this, like, yes, it's just Christ. Um, and so there's, this is a time of joy. It's a time of celebration. It's a, type of, it's a time of unity. Isn't it just like following a time like that, the disagreement would spur up, right? And so we see that in Acts chapter 15. In verse 36, it says this, And after some days, Paul, and this is the apostle Paul, said to Barnabas, this is the other early apostle, disciple, Barnabas, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So here's the game plan. Verse 36 is basically Paul saying, we just got done with this big journey. We went out, we advanced the gospel, all these people came to the Lord, all these churches got planted. Let's go back and revisit all these young believers to help encourage them, correct them where corrections needed. And they're like, yes. So they agree on the mission. Let's do this. Then we see in verse 37. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with him one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Now the conflict arises. Paul says to Barnabas, let's go back, let's visit all these churches, let's keep advancing the gospel, let's encourage our young believers. Barnabas is like, yes, let's do that, and let's bring John Mark. And Paul's like, time out, not so fast. 
Now they're not seeing eye to eye. And here's the reason. Because back in Acts chapter 13, verse 13, on the first journey, John Mark goes with them. He's on this missionary journey. And then for whatever reason, we're not told what it is, Mark bails on the mission. So he's like, I don't know if he had a tummy ache. I don't know if he got, you know, fearful. I don't know if God called him somewhere. We're not told why Mark stopped, but he didn't go on with them. So obviously Paul took note of this. So now that they're talking about going back on this journey, uh, Barnabas is like, this is a great opportunity. Let's get Mark back in the mix. You know, he's grown. He's different. We get a chance for him to, you know, learn some things. And Paul's going, mm, ain't happening. Not bringing Mark, man. We're going to bring someone, you know, else. And so you can see what's happening. There's just two different points of perspectives. And so some people would say, well, man, Paul's being too harsh. Some people would say, well, Barnabas is being kind of a pushover. Uh, some people could say, well, well, Paul's being a good steward of, of the resources and being very strategic. And some would say, well, yeah, but Barnabas is being really merciful and gracious. Uh, maybe, maybe Barnabas is more the mindset of, man, um, what can God's work do for Mark? And Paul's more like, yeah, but what can Mark do for God's work? You know, and so Paul doesn't want to be let down. He doesn't want to be put in a position to be uh, disappointed, and they're just not, they're not having it. To muddy the water even more, Mark is Barnabas' cousin, all right? Now, so now family's in the mix. It's like, hey, what's wrong with my cousin? Let's have him come along, you know? And Paul's like, ain't happening. So we see what happens next. Verse 39, and there arose a, what's the word? sharp disagreement. It wasn't like, oh, man, I don't see it eye to eye. Okay. Now, they started going at it, man. It was a sharp disagreement so that uh, they separated from each other. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. This difference of opinion became so serious, and this argument so heated, it was a sharp disagreement. These men reached an impasse. They just, they weren't going to see eye to eye, and there was sharp disagreement. Now, this wasn't a theological issue. This wasn't a sin issue. It was just a difference of opinion. And, and here you have two, like, spiritual giants. We got the apostle Paul and Barnabas. Like, these are like pillars of the early church, and they're not seeing eye to eye. I'm so glad that God lets us see these kinds of moments, right? I'm so glad that God lets us see the flaws in the men and women of God all through the Bible, because it's encouraging to us, because we go, if God can use those people that have those flaws, then God can use us too, right? And so it's so encouraging to go, these people weren't perfect, they weren't flawless, just their God was perfect, and their God was flawless. And so he's going to use them anyways. And so the outcome of this disagreement was to split up. Now, here's the thing. Was that good to do or not to do? Now, this is where we got to be reminded that when you look at the Bible, there are passages that are descriptive and passages that are prescriptive. This is a descriptive passage. It's describing something that took place. It's not prescriptive, because if it was prescriptive, it would basically give us a license that every time we have some sort of conflict, we hit the eject button, we're out. That's not going to work well in the eyes of God when it comes to your marriage, your friendships, your relationships, ministry. I mean, it is sad that we have all the amount of churches that we do. We've got the first, second, third, fourth, fifth church, you know, first Baptist, second Baptist, third Baptist, 18th Baptist, whatever. You know, it's like there's all this division. And, and so God wasn't saying this is how to handle the problem. So he didn't uh, condemn it on one hand. We don't see any condemnation from God about they, they shouldn't have done this. We don't see any affirmation. It was a description. But here's what we do see. God used it anyways. God used it anyways, because here's what happened. I'm sure the devil sat back and went, ha, 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 divide and conquer. 
that God's sitting on his throne going, exactly, divide and conquer. Because <laughs> now instead of one missionary team, we've got two. <laughs> and so what would have been one group of people working one way now becomes two. And so the gospel was advancing despite the disagreement. The gospel was going to advance despite disunity and all that was taking place in that moment. God still uses those ugly moments for his plan sometimes. Isn't that a mystery to you? Like, I don't know how God's going to use Dallas, Texas. I don't know how God's going to use Baton Rouge, Louisiana for his glory, but he will. God just has this amazing, miraculous way of bringing beautiful things out of ashes. If you don't think that he does that, look at your life. Look at the dirty pile of ashes. I don't know about you, but I look at who I was. I look at who I was uh, capable of becoming and how God rescued and turned something beautiful out of that. Like, look at our lives. This is, this is the handiwork of our God. He gives new life. And he was doing it even here. So he used the situation. I mean, look, uh, and the, as far as reconciliation, that happened. Th this wasn't a broken fellowship. These guys, they weren't drinking the haterade. They didn't, like, dislike each other uh, from that point forward, you know. They, they, they got reconciled. In fact, we see in First Timothy or 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, later on, Paul is talking to Timothy. He says, uh, Luke's alone with me. Get Mark. Bring him with you, for he's very useful for me in ministry. And so we see, man, that, 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 that Paul grew and was used by God. And we saw that Barnabas grew and was used by God. And we see that Silas, this new guy on the scene, was, he grew and was used by God. And we see that Mark grew and was used by God. And Paul came back around and affirmed him. And we're talking about Mark, the guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark. So we see that God still uses and His gospel still advances despite these things that take place. There came a point where Paul and Barnabas held more tightly to the gospel than to their own opinion because they went out and advanced the gospel. We see that. And so God uses all these things for His plans. It's just a good reminder that the, all the stuff that we're seeing, there's a spiritual component to all of it, right? Like we don't battle against flesh and blood, do we? We see the battle manifested in flesh and blood. We see it manifested in, in all these things, all the fear and hate and racism and disunity and blame and despair. Like, we see that's where it manifests, but that's not where the real battle lies. There's a spiritual component here. There's an enemy, there's an adversary, there's a devil, he's real. But more importantly, there's a God and there's a Savior and there's a kingdom of God, and that's very real. And so we look at the situation, but let's, let's be reminded, like, how did we get here? I just think we have to revisit this to, to make sure that we're centering ourselves on the gospel. This, this right here is all this brokenness, right? A lot of you here that are, have been here for a while, you know where I'm going with this. this. This is all the effects of being broken. This is brokenness that we have in our life. But how did we get here? We have to come back to remember that God made everything with a design, right? God's got a design. He created the world in perfection. He created the world without sin and death and murder and injustice and all those things. Um, God's got a design for everything. God's got a design for your family. God's got a design for your marriage. God's got a design for your sex life. God's got a design for your finances. God's got a sex for what you do with your job and the purpose of your life. God's got a design. But there's something inside of us that just wants to move away from God's design. We want to do it our own way. We want to reject God's authority in our life. We want to reject God's accountability in our life. And so we depart from God's design in major and minor ways all day long. The Bible calls that what? 
We know that's sin. When we depart from God's design, we enter sin, and we find ourselves in this place of brokenness. And brokenness hurts. Brokenness is painful. Brokenness is real. And what happens is when we are in brokenness, we crave and desire to not be broken, to get rid of the pain. So we start to try to find ways out of it. And so we start to try to, you know, um, find ways to numb our pain, escape our pain, fix our pain. We try to rely on human ingenuity. We try to uh, rely on human uh, solutions. And the reality is, the more we try to fix our own brokenness, the more we find ourselves feeling these things, and in reality, we're not moving any closer to God's design for our life. We're actually moving away from God's design for our life. We just shoot ourselves in the foot, in the hand, in the arm, or whatever else we hurt. You know, we're just self-inflicting our lives and our brokenness. And at some point, we go, we want change. We need change. The Bible has an awesome word for change. It's the word repent. We need to come to a place where we repent, where we're like, this isn't working. I need change. I need good news. And God says, good news? You want good news? I got good news for you. <laughs> and the word gospel means good news. The gospel is basically that God sees us in our sinfulness. God sees us in our lostness. He sees us in our brokenness. He says, you can't fix it, but I can and I will. And God came down a person. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And over 2,000 years ago when Jesus showed up, he lived a perfect life. Jesus never deviated from God's design. Jesus never sinned. He lived a perfect life, and he, he spoke up for those who couldn't speak up for themselves. He confronted those who needed to be confronted. He, he loved people. He gave compassion. He gave truth. Jesus came and ministered to the, the people he loves. And you know what the people he loves did to him? They took him and beat him and mocked him and took him just outside of Jerusalem and nailed his hands and feet to a cross and erected him up on a hill put a crown of thorns to mock him as a king, a fake king, and they killed him. The people that Jesus loved killed him. And before we condemn, we would have been there if it was us. They killed him. And in the flesh, what we see is this tragic death. You see, that was part of the plan, right? Because there's more to the plan. This was God's plan. Because when Jesus hung on that cross, he took all the sin of you, me, the world for all time. He put all the sin onto Jesus on the cross and when Jesus died on that cross, he paid the penalty. He paid for the wrath that God should be pouring out on us on the cross. And then three days later, he rose from the grave. He rose to prove that he was God and he had authority over death. He had over, authority over sin. And he had the power to forgive. And what happens is, when we're ready for change, when we're ready to repent, we have to come to the gospel and we have to believe. We've got to believe in Jesus and believe in who he is and what he did. Nothing else will fix our brokenness. And then God does another miracle. He says, when you come to Jesus at that point in time, I'm going to restore you back into relationship with me and I'm going to allow you to pursue my design in your life. And through the gospel and through Christ, we start to experience courage on a different level instead of fear. And we start to experience love on a different level and diminish hate. And we start to see equality and think with equality instead of racism. And we have unity and we accept responsibility for our sins and we confess our sins to God. And we have hope and we have peace. You're not going to get to those things any other way. Your bigger paycheck will not bring this. Your bigger house will not bring this. A few more friends will not bring this. A little more... Peace in the headlines won't bring us. Only Jesus Christ 
can bring us. That's the power of the gospel. That's how we got here. But this is how we get here. I don't know that most of you probably have done that, but we need to be reminded that our hope lies in the gospel. All these headlines, all these things swimming around us, we've got to hold loosely to our opinions and hold tightly to the gospel. That's the life message. That's what we need to cling to. And here's the deal. If you cling to the gospel, it will produce action in your life. The gospel is an information that just sits on the brain and allows us to be like, oh, I'm just warm and cozy and fuzzy. This is great. It's just Jesus and me. No, it's not just Jesus and you. It's you and Jesus, part of a big spiritual family called the church, who's on a mission to reach lost and broken people with the gospel. Because what happens is, once you come to the gospel and start pursuing God's design, he sends you back into the broken world to let people know that they can have hope. That's what God does. And so if you cling to the gospel if you, tightly, it will produce action. And just as we close it out here in a minute, I want to give you seven specific actions. That as you're swimming around today with all the events in your personal life, in our nation, in the world, you're going, what can I do? Man, if I'm supposed to hold loosely to my opinions and cling tightly to the gospel, then, then what do I do with that? Well, here's seven things, seven actions that can come out of us. One, believe. Believe. If you're watching online right now, if you're sitting here and you've, you're stuck in brokenness and you've never given your life to Christ, like if you look at your life and go, if I were to put myself somewhere in this diagram, where am I? Like, I'm right here. <laughs> well, if you're here today, then all you got to do is say, Lord, I repent. I'm ready for a change. I believe in who Jesus was and what Jesus did. I'm coming to you. You just tell God that. If you tell the Lord that, if you make that commitment today, let us know, please. There are response cards all around you in the backs of the chairs. Grab one of those, and with a big smile on your face, say, I'm repenting and coming to Jesus today. Put some content information on there. Put it in the basket. If you're online, send us an email at connect at cvconline.org, and, and let us know that you're repenting and coming to Christ, and we want to get in touch with you. Say, here's how you grow in this relationship with Jesus. Here's how you grow in your new life in Christ. For those of you who know Christ, you're like, oh, I already believe. But do you live like you believe? Because if we believe the gospel, then we're going to act and speak and think the gospel. Things are not hopeless, and we are not helpless. And so as a follower of Christ, believe the gospel. Be a voice of hope when things are not hopeful for other people. The second action you can do is learn. You know, we find ourselves oftentimes saying a lot for things we know a little about. We find ourselves being really loud about things we don't really know much about. So why don't we invest ourselves in learning a little bit? Why don't you read some books, read some articles, read some blogs, watch some helpful videos, read some documentaries, watch some documentaries, listen to the voices on today's issues, especially even those from another camp, from those who think different than you, and just learn so you can dig your well deeper and have a more vast understanding of the issues. Learn. Don't, don't, don't just get stuck in a corner. Learn. You can believe. You can learn. You can pray. You guys knew that was coming? Talk to God. Lay your, your burdens bare before the Lord. Take everything and everybody to God in prayer. Prayer converts. As we talk to the Lord and listen to the Lord, prayer converts worry and fear into trust and hope and peace. 
And so start coming to the Lord and, and, and lay things before the Lord. Pray for our country. Pray for the African-American community. Pray for the law enforcement community. Pray for our nation. Pray for everything that is being touched by the world. Pray that God would move and God would convict and God would heal. You know, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have the Republican National Convention. You know what? There's going to be a lot of dynamics that come to our city because of that. You know what we need to do? We need to pray. Next Saturday, there's going to be a gathering called The Response. It's down at the Woolstein Center. Anyone who loves Jesus is welcome to just come and gather with other people who love Jesus and just pray for our city. Next week, we'll, we'll keep you guys up to speed with our social media and some announcements next week. We'll have some gatherings next week for us as a church to pray. And so we, we, need, to, we need to pray when we're holding tightly to the gospel. We also need to weep. God's word tells us to weep with those who weep. We need to get emotionally connected to what's going on. The Bible's full of men and women who had hurt and pain in their life and their nation, and they just wept out of the pain. Man, when we look at the headlines about uh, men and women who got up just to go and do their job that are killed senselessly, or men and women who got up and just, you know, went through their life and, and stuff happened and they got killed. Like, we need to weep that moms and dads are taken and that kids don't have moms and dads anymore, whatever it is, like that needs to move in our hearts. We need to learn how to weep. It's okay to weep uh, what's going on in our home and nation. Fifthly, hope. The gospel has a promised future. There will be a return of Jesus Christ. He's going to come back and he's going to bring everything to complete restoration according to his design. There'll be no more sin, death, darkness, murder, injustice. Everything's going to be perfect. And for those who are in Christ, we get to spend eternity with God in heaven and experience all those wonderful things that we have that hope. And so we move forward with hope. So we speak hope. We think hope. We don't let our hope get extinguished. And we keep trusting God. And we start to help others trust God. And so one of the actions that clinging tightly to the gospel gives you is just hope. It's just a hopefulness. Six, engage. Engage. What I mean by that is let the action come out from you. Injustice and pain moves the heart of God and moves the hand of God. And because we love the Lord, injustice should move our heart and also move our hands. So what are some physical, tangible ways you can engage? Uh, can you advocate in an appropriate way for those who are experiencing injustice? Do you, you know, do you need to start posting or reposting thoughtful articles on social media? And just remember, if it doesn't heal, it doesn't help. Ranting does nothing except agitate and add fuel to the fire. If it doesn't heal, it doesn't help. So post stuff that's thoughtful, that's thought-provoking. That's a way to engage. Or maybe, maybe uh, find some legislation that, that we can get behind and start to try to bring you know, reform and action. That's okay to do. It's not our ultimate hope, but we still can do that. What are some ways that you can tangibly impact individuals' lives? Law enforcement community. You know what? If you see a law enforcement officer, maybe it's just time to walk up to them and say, thank you. Thanks for laying your life on the line. Thank you for serving. Maybe you see them at a coffee shop or a restaurant and say, you know what, I'm going to pick up that coffee. I'm going to pick up that lunch. I'm just going to bless that law enforcement officer. You know, uh, maybe it's time to write a letter to a precinct and just say, hey, you don't know me. I live in your community. I am safer because you're doing your job. Thank you. What, what if we flooded our local precincts with just thank you letters? Like, that's a way to engage. What about the African-American community? I mean, th there's ways to engage with them too. You know, when you see someone of a different ethnic heritage, but right now, especially with the African-Americans, man, look at them, smile, chat, visit, have a conversation while you're in line at the store. Pray with them. Don't just say, hey, we're praying for you. Don't say, hey, I, just, I know there's a lot going on in your community right now. Can I, can I just pray with you? Some of these vigils that they're having, you know what? Go to a vigil. Hold a candle. Just show that you're aware and that you support what's going on with the pain and heart that they're going through. Just engage. Find something physical to do. And the last thing of action that we can take is diversify. And I'm not talking about your portfolio. 
some of us are very vocal about racism and talk about, oh, you know, we need to be ethnically, you know, engaged and have, you know, diverse relationships. And some of us sitting here don't have anyone in our circle of influence relationships of a different race. We've got to diversify relationships. What, what relational bridges are you taking with people who are different than you? How, how are you in, interacting with those who experience life, experience America different than you do? And so it's time to just start building bridges and relationships with people in your community and work or whatever and, and sit down. When's the last time you sat down at a table across from someone very different than you? Maybe someone who's Muslim, maybe someone who's gay, and just say, hey, you know what, help me understand and fill in the blank. It's just a conversation. A conversation doesn't endorse. A conversation doesn't mean you're adopting something. It just means I want to have a conversation. I'm going to actually enter into the conversation. I'm going to relationally connect with people. Now, I love sitting down with Marlon a few days ago and just like hearing things. I was enlightened as a white man. And as a man who has a biracial daughter, I'm like, I didn't even thought about that stuff for my own daughter. Like, you know, we, we have to connect with people who are different than us. Take relational risks and get to know others who are different than you. Please, hold loosely to your opinion. Hold tightly to the gospel. And let that take action in your life. Believe, learn, pray, weep, hope, engage, and diversify. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for the reminder today. Lord, that despite the turmoil in our world, God, you still reign supreme. You still bring good things out of bad things. Lord, the gospel will still advance despite disagreements and disunity. Lord God, that you still have a mission for us to live. And in fact, anything, it's not time to shrink away from that mission. Lord, it's time to fully engage in that mission, Lord God. It's not time to lose our faith. It's not even time to merely cling to our faith. Lord, this is a time for us to exercise our faith. And that we would live the gospel. So Lord, help us to hold loosely to our own personal opinions, but hold tightly to that which you've shown us in your word, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ, our only hope. Lord God, I pray uh, with my brothers and sisters here, we lift up the African-American community. Lord, there's pain, there's fear. God, would you move in the lives of our African-American brothers and sisters? God, would you heal the wounds that need to be healed? Would you disarm pain that might be there and, and fear that might be there, Lord God? Lord, let us be a voice that there's no white church and black church. There's just the church. And God, may you just do that work in us, Lord. God, I pray for the law enforcement community, men and women and, and, the, and, the, and the boys and girls to send off the moms and dads and the husbands and wives to send off their husband and wife, Lord, into the line of fire. God, would you give a peace and a trust and a hope to them right now? God, put healing ointment on the wounds that exist there, Lord. God, we just, we just we want to make a difference, Lord, but we know the gospel is the only thing that's going to make a difference, so help us to be gospel people. Help us to live the gospel, not just teach the gospel, not just think the gospel, to live the gospel, Lord. So, Lord, take our lives, take our gifts we're about to give, Take everything we have, use it for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. We all sit together.